Welcome to Simplify. I'm Ben Schumann-Stoller. Simplify is for anyone who's ever taken a close look at their habits, their happiness, their relationships, or their health, and thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. In this episode, you'll hear my co-host, Caitlin Schiller, talk to New York Times bestseller Gretchen Rubin, author of Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home, uh, which have sold more than 2 million copies worldwide. Rubin speaks about her approach to happiness, habits, and I need another H word. Forget it. The main thing you should listen for is how to apply the ancient idea of know thyself in the 21st century. After the interview, Caitlin and I go a bit deeper into the ideas in the books covered in this episode. So by the end of the episode, uh, you should have a really good idea of Ruben's number one best-selling approach and more places you can go to learn about how to apply it in your own life. Here's Caitlin Schiller and Gretchen Rubin. Hi, Gretchen. Hey, Caitlin. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. So happy to have you on the podcast. Could you start us off by um, introducing yourself? I'm Gretchen Rubin. I am a writer. I write about happiness, good habits, and human nature. I, uh, I also have a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. I have a website where I write about my daily adventures and happiness. So I'm constantly writing and talking and thinking about how people can have happier, healthier, more productive, more creative lives. Great. That sounds like a useful pursuits there. Um, (laughs) How did you become so passionate about this area of research? Can you take me through that? Well, I started my career in law and I had switched to being a writer and I was just finishing up a biography of uh, John F. Kennedy when I, I was on the city bus in the pouring rain and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? I want to be happy. And I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happier or how I could be happier. And so I decided, well, I'm going to have a happiness project. And I, and I ran out to the library, got a ton of books about happiness, and started researching it. And the subject just was so fascinating and so vast that after a while of just doing research for my own benefit, I thought, wow, this would make a great book project. Maybe this should be my next book. So I wrote a book called The Happiness Project, um, which is probably the book that people best know, know of my books. And after that, it, it turns out that happiness and sort of how that connects up to habits, how that connects up to personality and human nature, just is this vast, limitless, fascinating subject. And so ever since then, I've been writing on sort of different areas um, within that, you know, very, very large subject. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your more recent books have been on habits, correct? Yes. Well, it's interesting because habits, like my study of happiness really led me to habits because a lot of times when people talk about why they're not happy, they point to something that's really a problem with a habit. So they might say like, well, my problem is I'm exhausted all the time. And that's about the habit of getting enough sleep. Or they might say, well, my, my, my problem is that every time I walk into my apartment, it's just a mess and that just drags me down. Well, that's about the habit of like keeping things organized and tidy, which is like this uh, endless task. So mm-hmm. are there habits that you can build in that are going to make that easier? I want to exercise. Okay, how do you make that into a habit? And so again, but it's always about, well, this is always in the service of having a happier, healthier, more like the life that you want. How can you understand yourself? How can you build the, build your life so that you get where you're trying to go? Wow, that's a, that's a capacious topic. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah. I've read through, through uh, your three books, The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, and Better Than Before. Obviously, the newest one, not yet, because it's not out. Um, but it's so clear to me that you're really passionate about research, which I completely identify with. What's a thing that you have learned in your research that you just get really excited about? 
Oh, I mean, there's so many things because you're exactly right. Basically, writing my books is just like an excuse to do all this research. And I will often get kind of obsessed with the subject and spend a lot of time researching it. And sometimes it turns into a book like Happiness. But often, like with with the subject like happiness, it's so big that you, there's kind of like little mini subjects within it that I'll get really super excited about, like clutter. You know, this is it's interesting because what I found is that for most people, outer order contributes to inner calm mm-hmm. really more than it should. But if you look at the research, they don't really talk about it that much. But if you look at popular culture and like what people like get excited about in real life, this is clearly something that they think about and struggle with all the time. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a little book about that that I'm hoping to publish called Outer Order, Inner Calm, which is all about just because you're like, well, it's not a big deal, like an overflowing coat closet or like you know, like too much in your in-basket. It doesn't seem like it should be a big deal. And yet over and over people say to me, like, well, when I, when I manage the stuff of my life, I feel like I'm more in control of my life generally. Um, there seems to be a kind of a deep connection there, even though it doesn't really kind of seem like it matters that much. And so that's like another little subject, that, a mini subject that I got obsessed with. Have you ever read about uh, Francis Bacon? Oh, I love Francis Bacon, yes. But have you ever seen pictures of his studio? No, it's actually Yeah, there's a museum in Dublin um, to which I meant to go an afternoon when I was there that actually replicated his studio, and it is absolute bedlam. I'll send you links to it. He was a person who was insanely productive but had the craziest-looking workspace. Well, see, here's the thing. I mean, like, having studied habits and having studied happiness is people so often want to say, what's the best way? What is the most creative way people are? And they will say to you something like, well, Francis Bacon was super creative, and here's his study, so this is clearly the way creative people are. Well, there is no one best way, because we're all different. We have different interests, different values, different temperaments, different styles. Um, so it's really about starting by thinking about yourself, rather than trying to fit yourself into somebody else's model of what works. You know, I think that you might have just answered one of my questions here. I was going to ask you, if you could boil down what you've learned in your research on happiness and habits to to one sentence or one principle... <laughs> What would that be? Yeah, I mean, it's be Caitlin, be Gretchen. It's like, start with yourself. Know yourself, which is very, very hard to do. It's like the great task of our lives is to know ourselves. And then figure out, like, well, given my interests, my nature, my values, my temperament, how can I do the things that I need to do to get the life that I want? And what is the life that I want? Again, for instance, travel is something that for many people is a super high value. It's something that they really love, that they really look forward to, that they get enormous value out of it. For me, I'm like, eh, you know, I like to go on a trip now and then, but it's not a big value for me. Mm-hmm. That's just, a, that's just. it's not that I'm right or they're right or I should change or, you know, it's just like, well, this is a really high value for you. So you need to think about how to incorporate it incorporate it into your life in a bigger way. For me, it's not so important. I'm going to think about other things first. Um, and so, um, so again, yes, I think absolutely. The, it's always a question of like, what kind of person are you? And then how do you build the life that you want? Um, and it, we can get ideas certainly from other people about, I constantly am stealing ideas from the people around me for things that I'm going to try. And some of the, my best ideas for happiness and habits have come directly from me copying other people, uh-huh. but it's not because they're right. It's just because, oh, what worked for them works for me. And so I learned something useful. Right, right. Okay. Um, do you think that working toward being happier or or always working toward being happier, can that lead to less happiness? Oh, this is a, a big idea that many esteemed thinkers throughout history have said. And I actually, for a while, was keeping a list of everybody, you know, great minds who have argued that. 
And I have to say, I just disagree with it. I just don't think it's true. In my experience, in my observation, the problem isn't that most people think about happiness too much and kind of trip over their own feet in the search for happiness. It's that people don't think about it enough. Mm. And in my observation, and this was certainly true in my case, that there was a lot of low-hanging fruit. There were many, many things that I could easily incorporate into my everyday life without a lot of time, energy, or money to become happier once I started thinking wow, if I wanted to be happier, what would I do? What are the changes that I would make? And so I feel like if, if there's a risk of overthinking it or underthinking it, I do not see that overthinking it is a big problem. It's something that people talk about all the time, but I don't actually see anybody ever experiencing that in real life. You know, what you were saying before about how it's important to stop and actually take stock of what makes you happy and the kind of life you want to live. Um, I wonder if if that precise question is what can lead people who are seeking more happiness less happy, because those are big, scary questions. It, it requires a lot of self-reflection and willingness to change. How how would you recommend people start approaching that kind of question? Well, you're 100% correct. And I think that is, that's a very good point, which is that sometimes self-knowledge is sad. Like, I mean, I remember one of the things when I was writing The Happiness Project that I really kind of acknowledged to myself was like, I don't really like music. I mean, I like a song here and there, but I I never kind of go out of my way to listen to music or very, very rarely. And it's something that provides so much pleasure to so many people. I totally get it intellectually why people want to listen to music or play music or understand music or learn about music or go to concerts and all that. But I'm like, and it's just admitting that there's something that in a way I'm not large enough to contain that and that there's something mm. sort of sad about that. I remember writing on my blog something like, I finally realized that I'm never going to go to a jazz club at midnight. <laughs> and somebody wrote to me and they're like, Gretchen, you live in New York City. You could totally go to a jazz club at midnight. And I'm like, it's not that I can't, it's that I don't want to. That's mm. what makes me sad. Um, so I think there is sadness. But, and, I, and one of the things, because it is so difficult to know ourselves and to acknowledge the truth about ourselves, I'm always looking for little questions that you can ask yourself that give you sort of a sidelong glance into your nature. So one good question, if you're trying to think about like maybe how you could have more fun out of life or how to make a career switch that would be more satisfying, a really good question to ask you, because th those are terrifying questions. Absolutely. <laughs> one question is, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? Because what you did for fun when you were 10 years old probably is something that you would enjoy as an adult in an adult form either in work or play. So if you like to make things with your hands or you like to take photographs or you like to walk in the woods with your dog or you like to bike or like what I did as a 10-year-old is I would copy out my favorite quotations from books that I read and I would paste, I would write them into a blank book and then I would accompany them with like beautiful photographs that I had cut out from magazines that I felt somehow illustrated this quotation, which is 100% what I do every day on my website. That is exactly the same pleasure. It's exactly the same process. And I have been doing it nonstop since I was 10 years old in an evolving form. And I read this wonderful uh, interview with a woman who's a color expert for a major paint company. And, they, and the interviewer said, well, what's your training? And she said, like, I have no training except for working at this company, uh, Farrow and Ball, except that when I was a child, I spent a lot of time rearranging my Karen Dosh pencils to see the most beautiful color combinations. So even as, as a 10-year-old, she was entranced by color, and she was doing it in a child's way. Now she does it as an adult, but it's the same thing. So that's a, good, that's a helpful question. 
Another question, and this is a darker question, Ooh. <laughs> is whom, whom do you envy? Envy is is an emotion that's extremely unpleasant to experience. We ought, It's a kind of a shameful emotion, so we often don't even want to admit to ourselves that we envy somebody. We might say that we resent them or we're angry at them or we might make fun of them even rather than admit that we envy them. But when you envy somebody, it's actually a super helpful emotion because it tells you that somebody has something that you wish that you had yourself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, once you acknowledge that truth to yourself, you can take steps to get it. So, for instance, speaking of the love of travel, I had a friend who was making fun of this woman in her office who was like, all she does is talk about these great trips, and she's always going, she's always making plans, and like every vacation she has, she's off to here, she's off to there, very dismissively. And then she was like, wait a minute. I totally envy her. I love to travel. I wish I was organized enough to plan these cool trips. Why don't I? And it's like, why don't you? You could. Mm. So do it. And so that envy was like a big red siren going off saying, this is something that you wish you had. Now, we can't always have what we envy in other people, but often we can or we could take steps to it. If you envy somebody that they're in like a long-term committed relationship Maybe you need to say to yourself, well, you know, I really need to, like, make a game plan here of how I'm going to meet somebody. Like, I just work all the time. I never meet anybody. Like, what can I, is there anything I can do? Mm. Probably there's stuff you can do if you, like, really acknowledge that that's how you feel and you start trying to build it into your life. This week on Simplify, we want to give a, a shout out to another podcast we really like, The Innovation Show by Aidan McCullen out of Ireland. And Aidan is just someone who really cares about good ideas. He's a former pro rugby player, sort of a hotshot business consultant nowadays, uh, but he's a great guy and he's really passionate about smart people with good ideas. I really like his interviews. Um, he has like a really nice style of interviewing where he just gets into a topic and he just wants to tear everything out about it. And he also gets a really broad range of thinkers on the, on the podcast. So go search for The Innovation Show. You can find it on all your normal podcast places and uh, check it out. Tell them we say hi. Let's get back to Caitlin and Gretchen Rubin and hear the rest of the interview. It sounds like something that people are doing that they don't actually need to do is forcing themselves into good habits for other people or what, you know, popular yes. research says without really inspecting whether or not it's right for them, which goes back to exactly what you were saying about self-knowledge. No, 100%. And this comes up all the time in habits. So in so in Better Than Before, which is my book about habit formation, I identify 21 strategies that people can use to make or break their habits. And sometimes people feel like 21 is too many, like it's too many to manage, but it's actually really good because some of these work really well for some people and they don't work at all for other people. And some are available to us at some times in our lives, but not at all times of our lives. And one way that this comes up is what I call the strategy of abstaining. And this has to do with how you, you, Caitlin, me, Gretchen, how do we most effectively face strong temptation? Mm -hmm. Not weak temptation, strong temptation. So like I have a sweet tooth, so that's my strong temptation. So abstainers are people who readily, like if they're all or nothing. It's not that hard for them to have none, but once they start, they're going to go all the way. So they can have no ice cream, but like... I've never had half a dish of ice cream in my life. Once I start, I want dish after dish after dish of ice cream. I'm going to eat every drop. But moderators are people who, like, they need to have a little bit. 
they get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. Mm. So these are the people, and I'm sure you've seen them in your life, where they like, they have a bar of fine chocolate in their desk drawer at work. <laughs> and every day or two, they just have one square of fine chocolate. That's all they need. So that works for them. Moderators, if they try to give something up cold turkey, it can make them kind of weird. Like they do better when they have just a little bit or, you know, they're going to have a few French fries. You know, they're going to have a little bit of chocolate. They're going to have one cookie. And that works for them. But like someone like me wants to say, like, why don't you just make a rule and stick to it? Or why don't you just give it up cold turkey? Or why do you keep breaking your own rules? Well, it's just they just have a different way. Mm. The same thing with technology. Like, my sister had to give up Candy Crush altogether because it was actually affecting her career and her physical health. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> she couldn't play a little bit, so she just gave it up altogether. But for somebody else, playing Candy Crush for 20 minutes might be a really, really nice break in their day. And if one thing isn't working well, try something else because maybe, you know, experiment on yourself. Maybe something else will work better. So you've been doing research on happiness and, and sort of habits tangentially for almost a decade now. Yeah. What, what do you feel sure of? now that you did not know when you started? Well, I hadn't really understood what we, we've talked so, a lot about like self-knowledge and I hadn't understood. And this is the oldest advice in the world. Like know thyself is on the temple of Apollo at Delphi. So this is like ancient wisdom. You know, there's, I'm not adding anything here, but I realize it's really true. And also relationships. You know, the research shows this, ancient philosophers say this, and it's really, really true that in the end, when you talk to people who are happier, it's because they have strong, enduring relationships with other people. And this is helpful to think about because in all, of, in all of our lives, we've got so many claims on our time, our energy, our money, or, you know, if you say to yourself, really, relationships are the thing that matter most, it's like, well, should you bother to go to your college reunion? Probably you should, because that's going to help keep those relationships. Oh, you're thinking about like, oh, it'd be fun to have a Super Bowl party. Would that be a good idea? Probably it would, because having a party is something that, you know, or, oh, there's this cool person that I think would might be fun to have coffee with. Should I make the effort to send the email? Yeah, probably you should, because in the end, those relationships are the things that are going to really going to matter. Hmm. You said before that you have you have 21 strategies. It was 21 strategies for, for making and keeping habits? or Yeah, it's 21 strategies for, yeah, how do people make or break their habits? So you want to make a habit, you want to break a habit. These are the strategies that you can, that you can choose from. Yes. Okay. And you said for some people, that's too many. Um, and it made me think about how in the Happiness Project, there's a section in which you deal with material goods and decluttering. And you take this really, what well, was surprising to me, the surprising approach there, and you, you rail against decluttering too much and against too much simplicity. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and your stance on, on the limits of, of simplification? And you're exactly right, though, because it goes right back to this idea of know yourself. And what I've really come to see is that people really have different levels of comfort um, with simplicity. And in Better Than Before, I talk about abundance lovers and simplicity lovers. Mm -hmm. So simplicity lovers are like me, they tend to like sort of like bare walls, clean surfaces, not too many choices, not too much going on. Like they feel like that's really unleashes their creativity, helps them like focus, have serenity. But then there are abundance lovers and they like choice and profusion and a lot of stuff on the walls and a lot going on and collections and things like that. And the problem comes when people are like, well, you know what? You're wrong. I mean, I see that this is how you have things set up, but really this is wrong. I'm the boss and I'm telling you that a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind. So everybody has to clean up their desk at the end of the day. Okay. That might be true for me, but that doesn't mean it's true for you. And so I think when people talk about simplicity, it's like, 
everybody, I think, gains from getting rid of things that are just absolute clutter, that they don't use, that they don't need, that they don't love, that's just there because somebody gave it to me, and, like, I really don't know what to do with it, or it's broken, but I can't really figure out, like, exactly how or whether I want to fix it, or I have ten of these things, but, like, I just keep collecting them, or whatever, that, even an abundance lover, like, there's no, there's no value to those things, so get rid of those, but I do feel like sometimes people think, like, well, less is more, and you're just going to be happier if you get rid of a lot, and I just think that's not true for everyone. Some people like having a lot of things around. They like collections. They, 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 that makes, a, it makes a, a space feel richer, more lived in, more full of life. And so I think it's really about finding well, what is the level for you that is comfortable and then getting rid of anything that doesn't pass your standard. My, my mother is a person who loves things. She loves possessions. She, she understands material. She knows a lot about them. And I feel like it, her, her world is bigger and more beautiful because of it. And I don't share that. So I envy that in her. But her house is like full of stuff that I would, if it were my house, I would get rid of it because I just like less stuff around. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me feel comfortable. Um, but for her, it's right. Right. If we're talking about 20-year-old Gretchen, what would, what would Gretchen think about what it means to be happy at 20 and how we get there versus what you think it means and how we get there now? Well, the thing is at 20, I never thought about it at all. I mean, that's <laughs> okay. my, that was my big mistake until I wrote the happiness project. I like literally had never, I had never thought about it. I mean, it's, it's funny to say, but I, I really think it's just a very easy thing never to think about at all. So I never thought about well, what kind of person was I or, or what did I want really? I mean, and this is sort of the subject of my next book about the four tendencies the four tendencies divides the world into four kinds of people. And the kind of person I am is just very good at kind of executing, both like meeting outer expectations and inner expectations. So I'm like, oh, I should go to law school. I'm just like, okay, whatever it takes, I'll do it. You know, and I did very successfully. Um, but I never really thought about like, why am I doing this? Like, what, what do I want? So, um, so yeah, 20 year old Gretchen never thought about it at all. Um, yeah, it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. Okay. You know, I don't think 20-year-old Caitlin thought about it too much either, to be honest. Um, We're so busy at that point, I think, just doing what we're told, and we are so unfamiliar with asking ourselves those important questions. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you you feel like you could go in a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to sort of choose. Um, yeah. Now, that's why learning, knowing yourself is something that takes a lifetime. Mm-hmm. If you could recommend a book to someone to help them know themselves better, something you've read because you've read so much. That's also a thing that's very clear from your books. You've, you, you've done the work. Um, if you could recommend a book to someone to to get to know themselves a little bit better and to be able to make these kinds of decisions in a, in a more intelligent, concerted way, is there anything that you'd recommend they read? Well, unfortunately, the book that I think I gain the most from um, or, or, or the writer I gain the most from is Samuel Johnson, who's oh. the very, very famous 18th century essayist and lexicographer. I love him. I will say, you do. Okay. I do, I he's do. Not, but, but you know, he's not for everyone. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's 18th century prose at its most um, florid. And it, it, I think for, for many readers, uh, it's, it's, would be a challenging read. Um, and the book that you would read is, you would read The Life of Samuel Johnson by Boswell or his essays. He wrote, he's got all these marvelous essays that are basically about human nature. 
I feel like Samuel Johnson's the one that made me realize that I was an abstainer because um, there's this great line where uh, he goes into a party and somebody says to him, oh, you know, Dr. Johnson, would you take a little wine? And he says, I can't take a little. Abstinence is as easy to me as temperance would be difficult, meaning I can have none, but I can't have a little bit. Mm. And when I read that, I was like, that's me. I mean, it wasn't until I read Samuel Johnson saying that. So when I read Samuel Johnson, my head explodes and I'm like, everything he says is just like so illuminating to me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. What's your favorite Johnson st- material? I, I did my, my undergraduate degree in English literature and I focus on 18th century literature, actually. Oh, so Dr. Well, Johnson. There, yeah, yeah, he's like the, the yeah, our yeah, excellent. He's also, he's also part of my personal canon. Uh, I love that we can nerd out together about this. Um, I <laughs> but I, uh, I was actually just trying to find this quote. He has one about how integrity without knowledge is useless and knowledge without integrity is dangerous and dreadful. And I just, I think about that a lot and I think about what it means to have integrity and to couple it with knowledge and to use it in, in measured, intelligent, and ways that are beneficial for, for humanity. Um, he's just, there's so much great Johnson stuff out there. There's so much great Johnson. It, it is like, so maybe I would say is like, get the Rambler essays because they're very short. He was kind of a blogger in a way. It was like the 18th century version of a blogger. Uh, he, oh, he totally was. He was a proto-blogger. Yeah, and he would like not edit something. They were like literally like ripping it out of his hands as he's writing it out. Um, <laughs> and he was a terrible procrastinator and he was constantly making resolutions and breaking them like his whole life. So he's very inspirational for people who who make and break resolutions. Um but if you just like read one, like get the selected essays mm-hmm. book and then really kind of say to yourself, I'm going to slow down and I'm really just going to like stay with him with what he's saying. I think for, I, I really do think that um, it's wonderful. And clearly you think so too. I it, do. It's worth the time. It's worth the time and the effort. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he just says things that other people would write whole chapters about and he somehow condenses it into a sentence or two. Oh, that just delivers the 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 just this powerful um, meaning. I I so agree. Yeah, he's just the captain of Piff. He really is. He is. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I think I have uh, just one last question for you, actually, and then uh, we can wrap it up. I wanted to ask you what you think is the competency at the center of the endeavors of becoming happier and creating better habits? Is it willpower? Is it being able to organize systems? Is it something else? Like what is it in a person that they can cultivate that can make them happier? That is such an excellent question. And it's interesting that you use willpower because the whole, I think the whole aim of my book about habits is to get you out of having to use willpower Mm. because willpower is very draining and difficult to use. Um, So you use habits so you don't have to use willpower. But what you're really pointing to in all of those things, I think what you're really getting at is this idea of self-command, self-mastery. Mm. And again, if you read the Four Tendencies book, um, you would see that self-command is a very, very high value for me because um, of my tendency. But I think for just about anybody, it's like, how do you get yourself to have the life you want? How do you relate to other people in a way that's patient and shows forbearance and a sense of humor? How do you not lash out? How do you manage yourself? How do you keep your good habits? And I really think that goes to self-command. And if you look at attempts to make life happier, they, you know, you have to use self-command because what you're trying to do is to bring about some kind of change. And in order to do that, you have to be able to have an idea and carry it through for yourself. Right. And, 
every single thing of that is like a special challenge, um, which is sort of like my great subject, which is how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Given how people are different, because what works for you might not be what works for me. Um, I, I think I would say it's self-mastery, mm. which incorporates the idea of self-knowledge and also the, uh, the idea that you can, in your own way, follow through. Mm-hmm. That you found ways to manage yourself so that you can follow through on what you want to do. And that's really what the Four Tendencies book is about. Oh, I'm looking forward to reading this. When is the Four Tendencies coming out? It's coming out in September. Oh, soon. Okay, great. Well, maybe yeah. we can talk again when, when that happens. Yeah. And I just, I did find the Samuel Johnson quote. It's, um, Ooh, let's it's, hear it. It's integrity without knowledge is weak and useless, and knowledge without integrity is dangerous and dreadful. Ooh. Yeah, he so was so good. good. <laughs> you, had, you, you were close. You had, you had it almost word perfect. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> I've been yeah, holding on that, to it for, I don't know, about a decade now. These are things that you can ponder for years. Absolutely. And they just get deeper. Um, but, you know, but, and I talk about all this stuff on my, on the happier podcast mm-hmm. too. So, um, I love to hear from listeners and, you know, go deeper into these subjects there too. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll put links to all of, of the places that people can find you in the transcript once we have it up on the magazine. I also, I wanted to send you, I will send you this, this thing about Francis Bacon. He was just such an interesting, um, interesting dude. Yeah. Um, I guess that's it. Gretchen, thank you so much. Excellent. Welcome to the bookend, where after our big interviews in each episode of this season of Simplify, we end with books. <laughs> Excellent. So you talked to Gretchen Rubin. I did. This was a lot of fun. I got to nerd out over Samuel Johnson, which was great. Did you, like, were you planning to talk about, like, Victorian? Is it Victorian literature? No, he's Elizabeth earlier. He's, seven, he's like 17th century. This is the guy who wrote the dictionary. What? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Okay, so what like what should we remember about this interview? There's a lot in there. There was a lot of good stuff. What's like the one thing? What's the one thing that I need to know from that? The one thing that I took away from it really was be Gretchen or be Caitlin. You don't have to be Gretchen Rubin. You don't have to be me, but be yourself. That's the real takeaway here. Instead of sort of sleepwalking through our lives as we can tend to, uh, her recommendation is to just take a step back and get more of the, the macro picture of what's actually going on. What would really make you happy? Actually ask yourself those questions. Dare to to take a second and pause and figure it out. Um, so, yeah, be you. I, I f- personally, like, I find that kind of difficult. Like, I f- this whole sort of self-helpy vibe of, you know, just be you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, well, obviously. Like, if it was that easy, <laughs> I would have done it. Like, I wouldn't even be asking what the issue is because I'd be so comfortable with myself and so safe in my own skin that, I wouldn't be looking for it, you know? But totally. so what I what I really liked about it was like two really easy questions. Who yeah. do you envy? Who do you envy? What did you do as a kid? Mm-hmm. Like just that. That's all I need. Those two yeah. things. Who do I envy? I can think about that on the train home. And that's like enough. By the time I get home, I'll probably have a new thought. I'll probably have a new way to think of how I do me. Yeah. And maybe get a little bit closer to what will actually fire you up about your life. What what did you do as a kid, Ben? What was fun for you? Just play soccer all the time. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. How does that relate to your current job? Kicking audio files around. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. So Gretchen Rubin, she gave us a book list. She did. Could you maybe just name a couple books that were on the list of books that she recommended? And then we can talk about what we recommend. Yeah, well, there were a bunch on there, and we will we'll publish them for you. But she, what surprised me was that she had two 
Not one, but two Benjamin Franklin books on there, which is great. One of them being the Benjamin Franklin biography by uh, Walter Isaacson. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was also surprised about this Benjamin Franklin inclusion. Yeah. Like... Everybody loves this guy, but they love him because he had a lot of really practical ways of, of looking at the world and practical ways to improve. What really sticks in my mind from having read this book is his method for getting better at writing. He basically studied speeches from lots of great orators and then recomposed them based upon what he remembered, then went back and went over them until they were watertight, beautiful, seamless pieces of, of you know, argument. So that's what, what they call deliberate practice, which was something that Franklin's really known for. What's What's crazy is that he rewrote all those speeches while flying a kite in a thunderstorm (laughs) and founding America. Did you know that he invented waterproof paper? (laughs) But Walter Isaacson wrote that biography. He's like one of the coolest biographers out there. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Another book. What's another book? Yeah. Another book. So this is one that I picked. Gretchen didn't have it on her list, but maybe she would. I don't know. We'll have to ask her. It's called The Power of Habit. It's by Charles Duhigg, which is... Um, The Power of Habit is a classic. Uh, In it, he explains the important role that habits play in our lives and and exactly how a habit is formed. And this is a great one to read because it teaches you sort of the mechanics of creating a new habit. And when you know that, you can start sort of reverse engineering the bad ones you have and creating new good ones for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic. Like, I don't think we have to say too much about that one. It's Mm -hmm. a classic. You should know Charles Duhigg's work. He has a newer book out this year, which is called, named after that Daft Punk song, uh, Stronger, Better, Faster. Oh, nice. Um, I didn't know that. He didn't name it after the Daft (laughs) 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 Punk. Oh, my name is Gullible. Um, And if you don't, that sounded kind of preachy, Ben. If you don't know this book already, that's totally okay. Just go check it out. Whatever. Just go read it. (laughs) Um, All right, third one. The third one is Switch by like the godfathers of content. The godfathers of the yeah, the godfathers of blinkist content. Um do you want to introduce Switchbin or should should I talk? Uh sure. Why don't you leave like the hardest one for me. I, I mean obviously. Chip and Dan Heath uh they also wrote Made to Stick which we've talked about so much on the old podcasts and mm-hmm. Switch explains how the mind is controlled by two different systems, the rational mind, the emotional mind. Uh some people call them system 1, system 2 you might have heard. Mm-hmm. And they sort of control how we act and how we think. So there's yeah. a lot of stuff in the Gretchen Rubin interview about understanding yourself in a way that you can um, sort of shape your environment, shape what you're doing in a way that makes you happy. And I think that that ties to this book. So I think that's a really good um, pick. So Um, those are three books you can check out if you were interested in the content from the Gretchen Rubin interview. Um, And even if you weren't, you should do it anyway. (laughs) So why, so like thinking about the whole season of Simplify, Mm -hmm. why did you want to talk to Gretchen Rubin? wanted to talk to Gretchen Rubin because she is a woman of systems. And once she wants to know about something, she will get to the bottom of it no matter what. She has done all the research. She's read all the happiness books. The vast amount of research Gretchen Rubin has done has has now benefited all of us, me, you, anybody who's listening, to know how to be a little bit happier in their lives without having to go through tons and tons of books themselves or try stuff that doesn't work. This is, I don't know, maybe it'll get you to being a little bit happier with how your life is going a little bit faster. Right. Start with who those do you two envy? questions. Who do you envy? What did you do as a kid? Yes, exactly. Those two questions. Start there. See how it goes. Okay. I think we should go straight into the outro from that. That was... That's great. I'm like all pumped up. I think we nailed it. Thanks for listening to Simplify. This episode was produced by me, Ben Schumann-Stoller, Caitlin Schiller, Nika Mavrodi, and Odie Constantino, who is genetically engineering a new kind of Aikido pumpkin, which he claims will end obesity and heart disease. 
If you enjoyed this episode and feel you learned something, please consider sending it to someone else who you think might learn something. We're really grateful for those of you who've already subscribed to Simplify on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Overcast, and so on. Uh, big shout out to those who left us ratings and reviews already, too. Not bad for the first episode. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to add a review or a rating, we'd be very thankful and appreciative. It helps us get the word out. Be very nice. Simplify is made by the same people who make Blinkist, a learning app that takes the world's best nonfiction books and condenses them into focused little capsules of audio and text that you can listen to or read in just 15 minutes. I set up a coupon code for you guys so you can get 14 days free by going to Blinkist.com friends and typing in voucher code you do you. Like Y-O-U-D-O-Y-O-U. You do you. Email me and Caitlin at podcast at Blinkist.com to tell us your favorite word in the dictionary. Bonus points if you include the Samuel Johnson definition. Or just let us know the quintessential way that you do you. We'll be back next week with another episode of Simplify. In the meantime, be good. This has been Checking Out. <laughs>